If you have a Bible, if I can encourage you to turn in it to Matthew chapter 6, and if you want to use the Bible in front of you there, if you want to turn to page 811, we will look at a couple of other verses, but we'll largely be in Matthew 6 this morning. Now, as you're turning to Matthew 6, I'd, I'd like to ask you to consider a question for a moment. How is asking a why question like an avalanche? Okay, when you think about that, how is asking a why question like an avalanche? Now, here's in my head, since I knew I was going to ask the question, here's how I see them as similar. You know, an avalanche starts out and it's really quite small. And then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, that started out really small. And then it got huge. Now, if a three or four-year-old asks you a why question, and you answer that why question, you know what's going to happen. It's going to get bigger and bigger, and there's going to be more and more and more why questions. Now, at this point, you may be having a why question in your mind, wondering, why are you asking us about why questions? Why are you wanting us to think about why questions? Well, here's my answer. Because we're starting this morning a six-week series around money. To which point now I'm guessing that might be creating more why questions for you in your mind. At least it has for me. And my first why question was, Lloyd, why are you going to talk about money in the church? You know, in, why are you going to do that? Well, I, I can fall back and say, well, one answer would be because the council of elders asked me to. And since they're my supervisor, job security, all those things seems important because I'm doing it because they told me I had to do it. Well, the problem is that leads to another why question, doesn't it? Why would they ask you to do it? Well, one answer to that question, quite honestly, is because we need to fund our ministry as a church. That's an answer. We need to be honest about that. And as you saw in Don's report there, you have been incredibly generous in terms of December off the charts. He joked with me the other day, you know, if we can have like a typical month can be $170,000, you know, that would be okay. So let's, you know, let's make every month like December. It's great, you know. So yeah, there is a funding element. That's true. But remember, avalanches don't follow a straight line. They keep getting bigger like this. So that's not the only answer to the why question. So what's another answer? Why does the council want us to do this? Well, another reason is really to encourage in our lives both giving and generosity. Well, maybe that leads to another why question. Why do we want to encourage generosity and giving in our lives? Well, I want you to hear me read, and it will be up on the screen, probably the best known, the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 really has within it an amazing number of messages. It reminds us, it declares to us God's incredible love. It tells us about why the Lord Jesus was received. It. Jesus came to redeem people. And the verse also tells us how you and I can receive that gift of redemption by believing or trusting on the Lord Jesus alone as our Savior. We can get that. But you also notice that there is an implication coming out of John 3.16 that has to do with giving. Did you notice that? It's there, which I think means we should realize God's love. What did God's love do? It led him to give. 
And I think that simple truth that God's love led him to give should impact us in at least two ways. One of the ways God's love should impact us that he gave is this. If we're going to claim we love God, and God has shown us that his love for us leads to giving, doesn't it kind of make sense in some level that our love for God should lead us in the direction of giving, in the direction of generosity? Second way I think this fact that God's love leads to giving should impact us is this. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, and what we mean by that is if you've turned from sin, you've repented of your sin, and you've trusted the Lord Jesus alone as your Savior, then elsewhere in the Bible, specifically Romans chapter 8, verse 29, would tell us that God's goal for our lives as followers of Christ is for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, for us to be like the Lord Jesus in our character, in our conduct, and in our convictions. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He put on display what God was like. Which kind of means, folks, if you and I are going to become like Jesus... If we're going to become God-like, which we often then shorten it and say, if we're going to be godly, that's going to involve us, folks, in giving. See, John 3.16 says, if we want to become like Jesus, guess what? That needs to be a part of our lives. That's where we need to head. That needs to mark us. Let me back up and give maybe another reason why we need to talk about money, kind of connected to that one. Prayerfully, the gospel and the transforming work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in the lives of followers of Christ will impact every nook and cranny of our lives. And folks, that literally means it needs to impact our financial accounts. Martin Luther, the the Protestant reformer, the great reformer as he's called, made the observation that you and I need a conversion of the heart and the mind, okay, we need to trust Christ as our Savior. We need to do that. He said, that's a huge conversion we need. But Martin Luther said, not only do we need a conversion of the heart and mind, he would use the expression, we need a conversion of the purse, or the pocketbook, or the debit card, all that kind of stuff. Now, let me state something with clarity at this point. Talking about money is not exactly my favorite thing to do. The council kind of had to twist my arm, like, you need to do this. And I've been a pastor for a while, which means I've read studies and different things, reports on what you're supposed to preach on, like what people would like to hear. And this may surprise you. No one seems to want to come to church and have stuff about money being the main topic of the sermon. Like, that's not the thing people salivate over to say, oh, I'm just, like, how many of you woke up this morning just praying that I would talk about money today? You know, like, that's not where we're there. So we're all kind of uncomfortable. So, and then we're kind of back to the thing of, oh, why are we doing this? Think about this again. Talking about money is necessary, folks. If we're going to claim that we believe the Bible is God's word and it equips us for life. Why do I say that? Well, I want you to consider two things with me. First, 
Did you realize that 15%, 1-5% of the words, Jesus recorded words in the Gospels revolve around money things? That's more than Jesus talked about heaven and hell. I don't know. Heaven and hell seem to be pretty important, eternally significant issues. So if he talked about money more than those two, maybe it's an issue we need to talk about. Second, and I did not verify this, so I'm going off of, I can show you the footnotes and all of that if you really want to see. I have been told that 2,350 verses in the Bible, which works out to be roughly 7.5% of the Bible, 7.5% of the verses in the Bible, guess what they talk about? Money things, money stuff. That is more than twice as many verses as talk about faith and prayer combined. Now, I would argue faith and prayer are really important things. But if money's talked about, money stuff is talked about, maybe we need to talk about that too. We need to talk about faith. We need to talk about prayer. We need to think about heaven and hell. But maybe we also need to talk about money. Well, that, in one sense, raises another question. Why is it that Jesus and the Bible talk so much about money stuff? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, where I had you turn, I think Jesus lays out for us three reasons why he and the Bible talk so much about money. And really, the reasons given aren't to give us sort of a semi-satisfactory answer for why the Bible and Jesus talk about it. Jesus, I think, laid out these reasons because he believes we need to be gripped in our souls by these reasons, and our lives need to be shaped by these reasons. It's that big of an issue to him. It's that big of an issue to us. So what are the three reasons? Let's talk about those this morning. Reason number one, why do we need to talk about this? Why did Jesus in the Bible talk so much about money? Reason number one is simply this. Money stuff impacts our hearts. Okay, now when I say money stuff, that is sort of my technical word for money, possessions, and all the attitudes that swirl around and are connected to money and possessions. If I just say money today, I'm most likely meaning money stuff. It's attitudes, it's more than that. It's not just the dollars and cents, it's more than that. It's the attitudes and all that rounds around them. Jesus addresses the issue, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now Jesus at this moment is talking to his disciples as well as the crowd that's with them. And to them, the disciples and the crowd, he gave two really straightforward commands. I mean, in verse 19, the command is very simple. Don't lay up treasures in, on earth. And in verse 20, lay up treasures in heaven. You say, well, why? Why does he say not on earth and in heaven? Well, it seems to be from the explanations of the words given in verses 19 and 20 is if you put it on earth, it's going to get destroyed and it could be stolen. If you invest in heaven, neither of those things is going to happen. So he's saying, do this with your money in a sense. And he is talking quite literally our stuff at this point. 
But there's another reason that kind of flows out. Verse 21 gives another reason when it says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, it's interesting. There's a shift between verses 19 and 20 and verse 21. See, in verses 19 to 20, Jesus is talking in the plural. Every word there is in the plural. He's talking to everybody sort of simultaneously. But when he comes to verse 21, when it says your treasure and your heart, that's singular. He's talking to you as an individual. We need to ask the question, what is it that Jesus wants us to understand in a very deep, personal, particular way? And I think Jesus' point is simply this. Whatever you highly treasure, whatever it is you treasure, that is going to have a controlling influence on your values and on your life direction. Okay. Whatever you highly treasure will mark your life. It'll impact the things you think are important. It'll impact where you go and what you do. Now, as you think about that, let me just mention something that I think is true in our culture and could very easily be true in our lives. And that is that money stuff is a big deal. Money stuff can be a big deal. Now, as you think about that, and maybe that makes you a little uncomfortable, because I know pastors are not supposed to talk about money. I mean, I, can, I have a file about that thick. I'm kind of old school. I have things in paper. And I can remember studies saying, don't talk about money. People don't like that. Don't talk about money. You know, it's interesting, actually. This is a quick aside, just because I'm getting awkward. The people least likely to want to talk about money aren't our lost friends and neighbors. It's people in the church. I'm not sure all the reasons why, because I'm chicken to talk about money. So, you know. So instead of just being uncomfortable about talking about money, let me raise up another issue that I am. I actually am trying at this moment, because I feel uncomfortable, to make all of us feel uncomfortable. Not just about money, but some other things. Okay? So if you feel uncomfortable with what I'm about to say, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me I needed to do this. So take it up with him, not me. Here's this. We are all sexual sinners. And you say, where are you? Why are you bringing up? Money is bad enough. Now you're going to talk about sex. Why are you connecting them? Because of Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling us in Colossians 3, 5, that we need to put sexual immorality and impurity to death in our lives. So all of our impure thoughts, impure actions, our lusts, those evil desires, all of that needs to be put to death. Okay? We have them. They need to be put to death. But notice, verse 5 does say that, but it doesn't just say that, does it? It also adds covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, coveted, being coveting is very much this idea of greed. It's basically we have this inappropriate desire to have more. I must have more. 
Now, in trying to understand why it was that Paul made this connection between idolatry and coveting, I'm like trying to figure this out. And so I was reading some more stuff, trying to learn from people a whole lot smarter. And one of the things I learned was in the ancient world, idol worship, you'd worship an idol because that was a way to get some kind of material advantage from a god. So in essence, they'd commit themselves to worship an idol because they thought they could manipulate that idol so they'd get something from it. Part of the big point of Colossians 3.5 is, folks, we need to understand, is there's a lot of things that can have a pull in our lives that pull us in the wrong directions. If we give in to greed, we give in to sexual sin, it's going to pull us in directions we don't want to go. And yet we can go there and it will do damage. We need to acknowledge that we have desires like coveting that aren't good. Now let me be clear here. The Bible is not saying it's bad to desire more so that you can, you can prepare yourself for that day when you're not able to work anymore. Okay, it's not saying it's wrong to set aside and be saving. It's not saying that. Okay, Living with, you know, having more right now so that down the road you're covered. It's not saying that. It's also not saying that it's bad for you and I to want to grow capital, to maybe start a business and, and create jobs. It's not saying that. Okay? What it's saying, what Paul's concern in Colossians 3, what Jesus' concern in Matthew 6 is really focused on is really, are you and I driven by the desire to have more control? Part of how that looks, part of where those desires come from is we can have within us this desire. I have to have more so that I don't have to depend on anyone anytime. Now, part of how that translates out, folks, and we need to understand this, is our greed can get us to the place where we desire to where we never have to depend on God. That's a dangerous space to be. But greed tells us, I've got to have more so I have that. Greed also can be driven in terms of control. We can be like, hey, I've got to have more. And God, if you're not going to let me have more, just let me have more than the person next to me. Obviously, my hairstyle, it, it's genetic. It comes from family things. Some of my friends' dads had the exact same thing, and so we used to compete. My dad's balder than your dad. That's probably a cover for my dad's richer than your dad. We do that. We get into greed. We want to have more. But folks, we need to understand those pulls, that greed pulls our hearts, pulls the control center of our lives away from God. To go back fully into Matthew 6, verse 21, I think we need to ask our souls the question, what am I treasuring? What am I treasuring? Because whatever you and I treasure, that is going to influence our lives hugely. What are you treasuring? And then to go back to verses 19 and 20, how is it that we can live out these commands? To not treasure on earth and invest in treasure in heaven. How do we do that? Well, this series hopefully will unpack more of that, but let me make two suggestions just at this point. First, when we think about this, we probably need to be thinking in terms of accumulating 
according to biblical values. Now, we'll touch on this more in a few weeks, but it means if I'm trying to collect things, I'm trying to have stuff, am I doing it according to biblical values? Then the second thing, if we're going to live out the commands in verses 19 and 20, uh, we need to invest in eternal treasures. That's really an investment of your life. So it's an investment of your money. It's an investment of your time. It's an investment of your abilities. Okay, you and I, we should invest in giving to God's kingdom. We should. But we also should invest in becoming holy in our characters. We should invest in sharing the good news of Jesus. We should invest in the equipping of others, making disciples. All of those things help us live out those two commands. See, reason number one, why does Jesus in the Bible talk so much about money? Because money stuff impacts our hearts. There's a second reason Jesus gets on to, and that is this. Because Jesus is trying to move us toward generosity and away from greed. He wants to move us to be generous and not be greedy. Now, to help us see that, Jesus is going to change from talking about hearts, where our heart is, to talking about our eyes. Look at verse 22 and 23 of Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, the idea of the, the lamp of the body is that your eyes are kind of a conduit into what fills your inner life, what is really filling your heart and your mind, the control center of your life. And Jesus says there's really one of two kinds of conduits that fill us. One conduit that can be one kind of eyes we can have is we can have eyes that are healthy. Now, the first readers of Matthew would have understood that as being a reference to generosity, to a reference to undivided loyalty, a devotion to God. They would have understood that's healthy eyes. That's one option. But the other option is we can have bad eyes, which they would have understood as meaning greedy eyes that sort of covet what belongs to other people. I've got to have more. That was kind of those eyes. We need to understand Jesus wants us to move away. He wants his people to move away from bad, evil, greedy eyes to healthy, generous, good eyes. Jesus knows that greed and materialism are real and they are powerful, soul-gripping forces. I mean, think about it. How many of the messages that you and I receive in life kind of communicate in all kinds of different ways? If we had more stuff or we had the right stuff, we, we accumulate things, we have all of this, we stand on the top of the hill, so to speak, we're going to be popular, we're going to be powerful, we're going to be set for life if we just had the right stuff. I think I'm on time. Thank you for the reminder. I think I'm on schedule. I just, like a little over a week and a half ago, celebrated another birthday, so I'm older. That kind of made me think a little bit back to, to birthdays. So um, 
I'm old enough to know, and this probably isn't true anymore. I'm virtually certain it's not true anymore. But when I was 10, the video game system to have was the Atari system. Like that was, there it is. You know, that was the one to have. So, I am not lobbying you to buy me an Atari game system. Let me be very clear. But I did lobby my parents to buy me an Atari game system. And because, you know, Christmas and my birthday are three days apart, it's like full press court in the month of December because I only got one shot at this. So what did my parents do? They bought me a Radio Shack knockoff. Needless to say... The knockoff version did not make me the most popular kid at Banff Trail Elementary School. And it did some things inside of me in terms of the greed didn't go away because I now had something. It made the the greed go a little deeper. Jesus is inviting us away from that kind of life where I've got to have more, I've got to have this, to a life of good-eyed generosity, a life where I can be generous with my time, a life where I can be generous with my abilities, a life where I can be Folks, Jesus talks about money stuff because he knows what greed does to our souls, and he doesn't want that for us. You know, as we start 2024, I think we need to ask ourselves at least two important questions. First is, where is greed in my life? Because if we're told we have to put it to death in Colossians 3, 5, it may be there. And if we have no idea that it's there, that may be a scary place for us to be. Second question I think we need to ask ourselves is, how can I grow in generosity? Is it a time issue? Is it an ability issue? Is it a finance issue? Is it all of those? And I'm going to guess it may touch all of those. Why does Jesus and the Bible talk so much about money? Because Jesus knows money stuff grips our hearts, impacts our hearts. He also, he's trying to move us toward generosity and away from greed. And then reason number three, why does Jesus talk so much about money? Because he wants to help break the bonds. He wants to break the bonds in our lives to money stuff so we can live under his exclusive lordship. Okay, to break the bonds of money stuff to where we're living under Jesus' exclusive lordship. Jesus has some more strong words related to money stuff to share. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus wants us to face the reality that two masters are competing for us. And the two masters are God and money. Now, technically, the word translated money in verse 24 is we translate the word mammon, which 
really was sort of the Greek word that is the idea of money stuff. Okay, those are the two God, they're the two masters, God and, and money stuff. And Jesus talks so much about money because Jesus knows money stuff is trying to compete in our lives for Jesus. It wants to be our master. Now, you maybe didn't walk in here today thinking, hey, I've got, a, I'm in the battle between two masters. But you are, and so am I. And that means we need to make a choice in this battle and we'll continually need to make keeping a choice in the battle. See, to be clear, the word cannot in verse 24, at the end of verse 24, is a very emphatic word to make it clear to us that we see the sheer impossibility that we can serve God and money. A lot of us probably want to. A lot of us say, hey, there's got to be a third way. There's not. It's impossible. There are two masters battling for us. You know, to address the choice, maybe it would be helpful to ask, what do I want 2024 to be about? What do I want this year to be about? Now, let me be clear. It is not wrong to desire to improve your financial health and well-being. We're going to have two messages in this series from the book of Proverbs that really are trying to offer sort of biblical principles to help improve our financial health and well-being. So we operate, in essence, in the financial part of our lives according to God's Word. That's true. It is also true, given what we've already said about greed and money stuff, that we need to recognize the dangers around greed, the dangers around money stuff, what it can do in our lives. Michael Wilkins is a professor at Talbot Seminary in California, and he made the observation that greed and covetousness are favorite snares of the evil one. They're traps he uses to get us and to keep us and to trap us. You see, money is not just a commodity that makes easy transactions. Money and the stuff connected to it can literally thrust, our, is, thrust us into a battle for our souls. And in that battle, Jesus is calling us to submit to him, not to materialism. Part of the reason, folks, we're doing this series is because there is nothing more wonderful, there is nothing more beautiful. But greed can warp and blind us to the beauty of Jesus. And instead of us thinking that life, and instead we'll start thinking, you know what, life would be great. Life would be beautiful if I had that car or that truck or that boat or that vacation home or if you're old enough and you remember Scrooge McDuck, life would be great if I could go swimming in my riches. We can do that. We can think that way and lose sight of what? The one who is the true beauty. Jesus doesn't want us trapped in a snare that denies us the opportunity to follow the one who is the true beauty. Well, let me quickly say, how do we practically then, how do we submit to Jesus and not submit to materialism? How do we make that choice? Three suggestions. First, 
I think we do need to provide appropriate care for yourself and your family. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, we'll talk about that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 15, we'll talk about that. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, we'll talk about that. Appropriate care. So that means things like, hey, I should be earning income. I should be paying taxes. I should live within my means. I should be saving for the future. I need to do those things. And, and again, what we talk about in Proverbs, we'll hit on those themes again a little bit more. That's a part of submitting to Jesus. Another part that help us submit to Jesus is help people in need. Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 27, talk about that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 10, get on those exact same themes. They say, well, what would it look like to help other people? Well, it might look like putting money in our fellowship fund. Now, I forget to say this, and it's appropriate. It's the first Sunday of the month. The offering boxes on the back, any loose cash that is put in those offering boxes goes to our fellowship fund, which helps us help people in the church in need, help people in the community in need. That could be one way to do it. Another way, how could you help people in need? It, it might mean that you bring some non-perishable food for our food drive for the gospel mission that will happen in February. Maybe today, well, actually not today, tomorrow or Tuesday, helping people in need. It might look like, hey, you've got a snowblower. You're really good at shoveling. Maybe your neighbor doesn't and can't. Maybe it's you going over there and doing their driveway. That's a part of submitting to Jesus, not to materialism. And then a third suggestion, give to God's work. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 points us there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 19 point us there. Part of beating materialism and greed's pull on our souls is to give financially. It really is. Now, we're going to talk more about giving in this series. That's when it gets all kinds of fun for all of us. But please know that giving truly does move us toward God. Moves us, in that sense, you could say, towards the cross and away from greed. But let me underline again that this giving we're talking about is not just financial. It also impacts our time. It also impacts our abilities. See, if I'm, I'm going to beat the pull of greed on my soul, I need to make a choice that instead of spending hours online, you know, looking for that ideal fishing boat or that patio furniture set or that special outfit or to just make it abundantly clear that I am not beyond this or looking for that book. What I need to do is I need to invest time and ability in terms of helping other people become disciples, helping other people grow as disciples so they can reach other people who become disciples. It's not just about my pocketbook. It is about what I'm doing with my money, but it's also hugely about what am I doing with my time and my abilities? Why does Jesus talk about money in the Sermon on the Mount? Because he knows that money is a matter of soul importance. Greed is corrosive to our souls, and greed wants to pour its acid all over our lives. Jesus 
wants us to invest in ways that get our hearts to the right place. Because we have generous eyes. And that together our hearts and our eyes lead us to submit to the only true master. Only Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful to you for your goodness and kindness to us. And we're grateful for your word. Lord, we need you. And we need we need you to speak into our lives, into every nook and cranny. And Lord, sometimes those nooks and crannies are not very comfortable for us. And yet we need to be uncomfortable because we need your work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to realize how dangerous greed is. How difficult and hard coveting is trying to pull us away from you. And help us to heed your word and to receive from you the help so that our lives are not destroyed by money stuff. But instead, we see and live and follow the one who is the true and amazing master. Lord Jesus, may we submit our lives to you for our good and for your glory. In your very precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.